Welcome back to another episode of Sustainalytics Sustainable Finance Solutions Podcast, a monthly roundup of the latest transaction and developments in the sustainable finance space globally. In each episode, we take you through some of the latest news that caught our eye, noteworthy transaction that has hit the market and cap off with discussing regulatory updates. This roundup is the created shortlist for a download on what's happening in the sustainable finance space globally and may just spark some ideas for future deals and transactions. This episode is hosted by Nick and Marika, who work in the business development across the Asia-Pacific. Welcome, Nick, to this episode today. What are some of the headlines and events and whatever you have seen in the market which you would like to highlight and you found interesting? Great. Thanks, Marika. Absolutely. Another jam-packed month, and we call it the smorgasbord of sustainable finance news continues to grow. I think we really need a daily or a weekly podcast, or I certainly need more eyes to keep our eyes on various things that have happened and are happening in the market. So let's whip through. We'll be pretty punchy as usual, but a couple of things that caught our eye. The latest dynamics numbers around sustainable finance issuances, the green bonds, the different types of issuances... Um, there was a really good report just released a couple of weeks back um, by the CBI, our Climate Bond Initiative. That's got a lot more detail than we will go into on the podcast. And as we've said in previous months, it's almost like we can't keep up with the developments, more issuers, more markets, more products, more diversification. It's all just more, more, more at the moment. And that's generally positive. And, and really good momentum. And as we know, sort of the third and fourth quarters are normally pretty big months for bonds and the sustainable finance related issuances and the loan market activity is no exception of that. So some latest sort of targets have come out or expectations of maybe 850 to a, to a trillion dollars this year across the sustainable finance markets or even in just some of the green products. So let's, um, let's see, but I encourage everyone to check out that um, CBI report, which breaks down the market in a pretty um, understandable and a, and a good way. What that has sort of led to, and we'll probably need a special segment on this going forward in the in the podcast. So we'll figure that one out, Marika, going forward. But a lot more articles about greenwashing, about scrutiny, about challenge. And I might sound like a bit of a broken record on some of these issues, but you know, we welcome the scrutiny. I think scrutiny is good. Sometimes the comments are a little bit unnuanced to the extent that they're too general and should and could peel off a few more layers because sometimes things, you know, we've got to understand the context of things um, and sometimes transactions are sort of pushing pushing boundaries. Not everything is perfect and great and not everything is maybe terrible. So we've noticed that a lot more challenge. Um, the debates are growing about certain aspects of sustainable finance. And again, we think, you know, that's quite positive and it always, you know, should happen in line with rapid growth to any market. One thing we did note as well, and I'd encourage our listeners to check it out, is the EMIA released um, Enhanced Principles for Labelled Bonds. I don't know how practical their recommendations are, but it's a good read to the extent that it highlights some of the topical points, the levels of refinance, how far you can look back to refinance, whether you should be allocating to assets at 100% at the time of issuance. These sorts of things are really the kind of issues that a good provider or second-party opinion provider should be looking at and commenting on in any second-party opinion. And I don't know how practical some of those recommendations from EMIA 
um, are. But check that out. And just it's, it's quite a good paper just to see some of the different views about some specifics in the market. We also saw the Olympics, which is one of my favorite times of the year. Not that I have ever been good enough to participate in anything at the Olympics. Maybe talking if they had an event for talking or maybe next uh, time round we'll get a few team members to go into the break dancing. But um, anyway, as it relates to sustainability, it's just an interesting one that the um, IOC and some of the other FIFA and some of the other major sporting organisations are starting to come up with frameworks about climate change for them as well, where you can play sports if the weather changes too much, where you can have the Winter Olympics, scope three emissions, people travelling to grounds, people flying to games. You know, These sorts of things are impacting many industries and we all love sport. It's a great thing that unites us all um, and there's sustainability issues that connect to all industries. So I thought that's really interesting when I started looking at that over the Olympic period. And it was really interesting too. I found that the flame for the Olympics was hydrogen-based. The medals were from recycled electronics. They were super big medals as well. Pretty cool. So yeah, just really interesting if we talk about you know Olympics in that context. So sustainability connects to more and more things, which is you know good to see some of these things getting considered. And I do hope that climate change doesn't impact winter olympics and or summer olympics although in some of the events in tokyo it looked pretty darn hot for some of the athletes all right um i also noted something and we'd encourage our listeners to check it out called the earth overshoot day some pretty cool graphics that are produced as part of that that's an organization that produces some reports and comes out with a day each year to show when for that annual period when we've used more resources of the earth then we can regenerate every year. So it sort of is shrinking each year. I think this year was in July at some stage. Last year was in August. So the the narrower or the closer to the start of the year, it means we're churning through our resources at a much quicker rate. And I think it's about, you know, we'd need about 1.6 Earths to generate what we need or what we're using at the moment each year. So we need to try and stretch that the other way. It's a kind of a different way to look at some of the sustainability issues in terms of some consumption things as well. Something else that jumped out was in relation to blockchain. Again, pretty fancy word, but lots of talk about tokenizing, using distributed ledger technology to measure the impact of green bonds or record the impact of green bonds or the the bonds trading sorts of things, which sort of ties into a climate tech theme, which I think we're going to see a lot more of different types of technologies connecting to sustainability themes. And let's see how much of a role those type of use of proceeds or those type of dynamics can play in the sustainable finance markets. Another one I saw um, article and and something that's jumping out a little bit more and more, there was an article on environmental finance about blunt ESG scores have no place in credit rating process. So I guess our perspective on something like that, and it's good that there's different perspectives and scrutiny and debate in the market as a major provider of ESG ratings and scores globally. I guess it's a lot more nuanced and a lot more multidimensional. The credit ratings have been around for many, many, many more years and really only measure the probability of default on a, on a bond or, or a loan. So they're a little bit less multidimensional. There's certainly a lot of factors which go into that. So I'd encourage people when they're looking at ESG scores to, to really look under the hood in a lot more detailed way. You know, pull, a, pull apart the parts and see what aspect of that is useful. And many of our clients use aspects of our score. Maybe it's not the total score at the end, it's the issues, it's the indicators, it's the different things. But ESG scores, ratings by nature, are fundamentally much more multidimensional than just the probability of default. So I just add that as our contribution to the overall debate on these things, which is healthy, as I mentioned before. All right, a couple more highlights for the month. 
IPCC report. We could spend the whole podcast going through that. The thing that, that really spoke to me about that was just the code red for humanity. So this was the interpanel organization for climate change by the UN looking at 14,000 different reports on climate, involved a couple of hundred scientists, really, really seminal work that we'll look back on. And this is the most detailed piece of work on climate science that's ever been done. And if there's different parts of the market that's still debating aspects of who's causing this, what is the impact? This is incredibly detailed. I thought I could read the whole report until I realized it was um, 4,000 pages, but do check it out. And I think that summarizes everything. Code Red for Humanity, a lot of things we talk about in this podcast, a lot of things that are underpinning the market, climate change, built on top of the IEA report a couple of months ago we mentioned on the podcast and also in the lead up to COP26, really, really seminal and important work that decision makers can hopefully bring into their decision making because this is getting more real and it's getting more personal for us, assuming we want our kids and our grandkids to be able to breathe um, breathe the air we all live in and have a more sustainable world. So check that out. An absolute beast of a paper, but lots of amazing science in that. I'll just read the exact summary, which is a heavy read of 30 pages. Check it out at least a couple of times. All right, let's have a look. Sovereign bonds continued to go through. I think Marika will tell us a little bit about some of the sovereign bonds and maybe there'll be more sovereign bonds come out um, or some come out with some sustainability links connected to them. We started to talk about that on the podcast last month. A little article I also saw was an initiative and I'd encourage our listeners to check this out. The role of offsets versus targets is often quite debatable. We have our view on offsets. Do look at, there's an organization called the Voluntary Carbon Markets Association. I'm sure I'm getting that wrong and there's more of a a, a comprehensive acronym that is connected to that. But if you Google that, you'll be able to see it more and more science coming out around those, what role they should or shouldn't play. And there's been some good articles on environmental finance over the month. All right, I'm nearly um, I'm nearly out of gas here, literally, um, Barika. One more thing I did notice over the month was an excellent report. Again, environmental finance is, is some fantastic information included on that um, every month. There was a little bit of a segment or a spotlight about sustainability link bonds. And as we can see for based on some numbers, about $9 billion done last year, 2020. And we know that link bonds were only really formally launched in June, even though Enel did something at the end of the previous year. And from the start of 2021 to um, early August, the numbers are nearly 50 billion. So let's see how that ends up this year. But enormous momentum, much more diversification and some really interesting and funky KPIs coming to market in a positive sense, that is most of the time. And still some of the issues, you know, how can harder to abate sectors use those? What's best way to define ambition? Should we be paying investors or should an issuer be paying an investor if they've missed a target? Are we going to see step downs? Are the coupon adjustments big enough? If everyone uses 25 basis points, is that enough? So lots of interesting comments put in that um, and encourage people to check that out. So, well, what a, uh, what a month, Marika. What about green bonds to move away from the headlines? It's been a pretty packed month for green bonds, but what's caught your eye on that um, side of things? Yeah, thanks, Nick. And thanks for that uh, really comprehensive intro. I really liked the comment about the Olympics. I didn't know some of the stuff before, so good to hear that they are also trying to be more sustainable. And congrats to all the medals Australia won. Oh, thank you. 
Good. Let me give you a quick roundup of the green bond market, what we have seen here. So as you said already, Nick, yeah, sovereigns is an interesting space to watch at the moment. There's so much going on, good momentum. I think I have mentioned it already last time, but we still see many sovereigns coming either for the first time or repeated issuers coming to the market. So what we have seen over the last month was, for instance, um, UK that they said they are going to issue in the course of September. Spain has announced that they will come in September. Um, so there is still good momentum going on, and uh, I'm sure further sovereigns will follow suit on that. Moving on the banking side, here we have seen a lot of activity, so I'm trying to be not too detailed about each transaction, but what was interesting was some activity in Canada. There was, for instance, um, Scotiabank. They raised 1 billion um, sustainability bond, which was their maiden bond, and this will be partially used to fund um, women-controlled businesses. And then we have seen Deutsche Bank, for instance. They had their debut. Uh, with a green bond in Formosa format. So interesting versions um, seeing here. Elsewhere in Asia, there was in India, Access Bank. Um, they raised 1 billion US dollar ESG compliant eight-year one note overseas. So that's also interesting because there is not so many activities seeing in the subordinated capital. So that was an interesting deal. Then in Taiwan, the Bank of Taiwan, they raised a billion Taiwanese dollar from their inaugural green bond. The use of proceeds are going to renewable energy, eco-efficient product, product technologies and processes. Staying in Asia, there was in Japan, the Concordia Financial they have published their ESG framework versus the analytics did the SBO. So we are proud of that transaction. And the framework is aligned with the green bond principles and the Japanese government's green bond guidelines. They have their own local guidelines in Japan on top. And then talking a bit about Singapore, because that's where we are based, Nick. There we have seen, yeah, OCBC it was. They have raised an Aussie dollar 500 million green bond. I mean, that was not the first one. OCBC has already an established framework but they just came to the market again with that transaction. So enough about the banks. In some other sectors like renewables, we have seen some activity from Aquila Capital. That's a wind investment company and they are preparing to publish their green bond frameworks. In the chemical sector, there was Evonik. It's the German company, if you might know it. And they are also preparing to issue green senior bonds, green hybrid bonds and green private placements and also loans, I think. And they have published their framework now and are ready to go in the area of eco-efficient products and energy efficiency and, of course, renewable energy. And then some exciting news coming from Bangladesh. I forgot to mention them earlier when I was in the Asia, in the Asia corner, but I want to highlight that Saida Foundation, they announced that they have received approval from the Bangladesh Security Exchange Commission to launch the first green bond ever in Bangladesh. So that's an exciting movement. Bangladesh, not really the most active country in the green bond sector, I would say. So it's good to see that they are progressing and launching a green bond in that space. Property, as always, busy, busy sector. So just a quick update, what we have seen here. There was the Swedish property firm Chinova, which launched, I think, um, Swedish Krona 400 million green bond. There was the UK house builder Berkeley, also in a 400 million sterling bond. Then there was a light properties issue with an inaugural 500 million. 
So a lot of activity in that regard. And the last comment I would like to make in the for the green bond space, because that's worth highlighting, is that we see more and more of the tech sector being active in that space. And when you look at the numbers, it's like not that only those tech companies are coming to the market, but the volumes they are raising. That's the interesting. Um, that's the interesting part. So over the last 12 months, we have seen companies like Baidu, Xiaomi, so a lot of activity from China recently, Salesforce, HP, Amazon, Alibaba, Alphabet, they all have been active in the last year in the market. And together they raised roughly 11 billion US dollar in the green bond space. So that's quite an impressive number on that side. All right, enough about the green bond side. Nick, what have we seen on social or sustainability bonds? Yeah, so lots of activity there. But before I, I jump into it, I like the country Bangladesh getting getting active. And I'll have to tell a story on the podcast one day about getting carjacked by an elephant in Bangladesh when I was visiting <laughs> microfinance institutions. So maybe if uh, any of our listeners, you know our email address, podcast at sustainalytics.com. If you want me to tell that story on the next podcast as a bit of an interlude, uh, I'd be happy to go on that. But a fascinating country and lots of development um, funding sort of needed there. So that's excellent. Excellent to see. But anyway, back to... Yeah, um, we definitely need to make space in, in one <laughs> yeah. of the future podcast episodes for that story. Oh, now, you, now you made me curious. New, uh, <laughs> new segment coming, uh, coming up. All right. So social bonds and loans, a couple of things. Really the key and the ongoing theme that dominates that space is microfinance, SME finance, and then affordable housing. So we saw IOL go to market, we saw BOSAM go to market, we saw Union Bank of Philippines, State of New York Mortgage Agency, we also saw Florida Housing Finance, we saw Nebraska Investment Finance Authority. So a lot of the affordable housing, and it's important to get the definitions right and the target markets of those right. Um, so very active in, in those areas. And then Allied Irish and also PNC, some banking organizations there, financial services, a bit broader on the frameworks, looking at things like, um, in addition to SMEs, affordable housing, healthcare, education, some different things with nonprofits and a little bit broader. And as we know, banks are excellent places to look at different types of projects and categories, particularly for social, to see how they've been um, constructed. So do check those out. And what about back to speaking of loans and things, Marika? Was there any any room for any green loans amongst all that activity over the uh, over the last little while? Yeah, Nick, there were some interesting transactions. I will just pick only on a few which are worth highlighting. So in the loan space, there was the Chinese renewable energy firm TESS, so T E E S S. They have signed an 80 million green loan from four banks, and what they want to do with that money is they want to develop a a 170 megawatt of renewable energy project in the country. What was interesting here was they said it's the first green loan to finance a project of this type in China. So that's why it's good to highlight. In Hong Kong, there was a Kowloon Motor Bus. They have, so it's like electric for electric buses in Hong Kong. They have signed a five-year, 500 million Hong Kong dollar green loan. And that loan will be used for the purchase of the latest model of eco buses and electric buses and solar panels. So very interesting and good to see that maybe the public transport is electrified in Hong Kong. 
And then in Japan, there was Pellet Rental. They have signed a Japanese 400 million green loan. That's uh, like in the, also in the transport segment. And then last but not least, another loan I wanted to highlight comes from Belgium. Here, the real estate investor Befimo, they have published a framework ahead of their potential issue of uh, green loans and also maybe green bonds. But that's just really a quick snapshot. Much more interesting is the SLB side, Nick. As we know from our listeners last time, they asked a lot of questions around that product. Um, so I stop here now. And please, if you can give us some roundup on the SLB space. Absolutely. SLBs continue to show really good momentum as the whole link space in general does. So just a couple of transactions to, to highlight in the recent period. Um, Valio went to market. They're a French um, vehicle supplier. What I liked about that one is it did include scopes one, two, and three, or aspects of scope three, as in upstream scope three. So we're starting to see a little bit more scope three enter into the scope of um, KPIs measuring um, GHGs. We know that scope three is, is much more difficult, but we know that scope three consists of 15 categories, some upstream on the way into a business and some downstream on the sold products on the way out. So look out for those sort of dynamics and something that I think we're going to see a lot more. And again, auto-related, heavier sort of manufacturing, good to, good to see some activity there with some pretty aggressive targets. Uh, South Africa, a company called Redefined Properties, did a sustainability link bond, possibly one of the first in that market, um, actually looking at scope one and two emissions as a number of other property companies have done um, and going to looking at achieving that through much more solar usage and other sorts of things the, under their broad sustainability plan. Another one, Man and Hummel issued a green shooter shine. I'm sure I've said that wrong, Marika, and you can correct me on um, on that one. But effectively, as I understand it, a bit similar to a US private placement sort of in between a loan and a, a, loan and a bond. Um, again, auto parts manufacturers so on that heavier side of manufacturing. And we know actually they used an ESG score, an ESG rating. So we know that ESG ratings haven't been used to publicly, more publicly traded bonds in the traditional sense. But we have seen ESG risk ratings connected to a couple of US private placements with Sydney Airport and now the the scooter, scooter shine. I'm probably getting worse on my pronunciation there. So interesting to see. Again. The shine. Thanks, Marika. That's what I was trying to uh, <laughs> trying to say. And then moving along, Ramsey Sante, which is a joint venture between Ramsey Group in Australia and a French group, I believe. Ramsey in Australia did a transaction, I believe, last year. Couldn't it could have even been um, been done this year? So much as uh, so much is happening, and some really interesting KPIs on that around customer or patient sort of satisfaction levels around underserved patients. So a couple of themes on the on the social side, some GHG targets. So a, a pretty detailed transaction and good to see the healthcare sector coming to market with some different types of KPIs as well. We also saw another packaging company called BWE. I'm sure I've said that one wrong as well. They're um, Swedish um, and raised a bond for 160 million euros, primarily focused around their business of recycling and packaging and getting more efficient around that. NRG, a utility company, US power company, went and issued its second sustainability link bond. So it's good to see companies like Enel and NRG you know, coming for their, their second rounds of sustainability link bonds. And even in Enel's case, they raised their ambition on their second uh, second bond. So really good to see. And the interesting thing about this one, in line with the, the comment I made before about Scope 3, 
is a scope three was also included to some extent in this bond as well. So that's really positive to see. And the last one, again, we mentioned property already, Fortress REIT in South Africa, issuing and looking at some reductions in scope two, which we know are, are pretty material for the property side of things. So yeah, lots happening on the on the link side there. Thanks, Nick. That was a really good update and overview about that very dynamic space, I would say. I think it's maybe a good time now to move to the listener questions, because again, I've seen we had some interest in our inbox. So I picked two. And Nick, if you want to share a bit more background or answers around those two, it's not really questions. It's kind of like the first one was about the equator principles. So I think the listener just wanted to get a better understanding, like what are those? It's something about risk management, but what does that mean in detail? So if you could just share a bit more about the equator principles, that would be great. Sure. So we often get that question in our work and someone says, well, if, if a loan complies to the equator principles, can we label it green? Now, what we'd say to that is, so the IFC own the equator principles. They've been around, I think, for now 15 or 20 years generally applied to sort of um, project financings, but becoming more prevalent for use in bigger loans as well, certainly with big financial footprints. And what we would say is complying with equator principles is good. It's risk management. It's sort of should be business as usual, should be really just common things in, in risk management to make sure things are robust, particularly for bigger project loans. But it doesn't necessarily mean that something's automatically green if a client has all those risk management aspects in place. We know that for green, there needs to be intentionality of, of money spent on certain things that have eligibility criteria. And we'd see more equator principles in the background as risk management around the company to make sure they're definitely on the right direction. But that concept is a little bit different to say eligibility for, for green and the thresholds attached to that. So... That's how I would try and answer that one, Marika. A good question, though. Thanks, Nick. The other one was around like certifications in linked facilities. So if you have any thoughts on that, please, please share that with us. Yeah, that, I mean, this is a really good one. And we're starting to get that question more. So as I mentioned, you know, if, if we look at it, like essentially, the link loan market started using links to ESG risk ratings. Then we sort of have taken off more around KPIs, then bonds have been introduced to the linked concept. They've used more KPIs in some of those private placement type markets. We've seen some ESG sort of ratings used. So that's one aspect of this selectively used. But more and more, even in the publicly traded markets, we've seen some transactions, um, Thai Union, an aspect of their bond used, the DJSI. We saw the Rome Airport transaction have a link um, to one of the ACA airport certification schemes. So I think From our perspective, certifications can certainly be used. It is a bit more complex for somebody like us or an external reviewer to really pick the certification apart and understand the key drivers of that. So we wouldn't accept just any certification. We'd have to be quite picky about which ones we do accept and what it covers. So if it was something in Australia like Neighbours, if it was something like an airport with ACA, we just need to really understand what's the drivers that are, that are improving that certification. We generally don't see maintaining a certification as, as ambitious unless it's super, super hard to maintain that or that the levels of certification become more difficult each year. So I think we will start to see this a little bit more. But the thing we always look at is to try and understand what are the key drivers of that? What does it mean for 
energy efficiency, GHGs, water, those real life things in action. And I think we're going to start to see some certifications, particularly the robust ones, enter the fray a bit more on um, link facilities to be an aspect of a package of KPIs. So that's, um, that's that question. So keep them coming, listeners, the more questions we have, and we'll see if we get one on my Bangladesh trip for, uh, for next time. But to jump to SLLs, Marika, with the dynamics around SLBs, are we also seeing the momentum on the SLB side translate to more momentum on the loan side? Are we seeing contagion effect, if you like? Yeah, definitely, Nick, definitely. So there was a lot of activity also in the sustainability-linked loan space over the last months. And to give you a bit of flavor from the different sectors, for instance, we have seen Prudential Financial they have signed a 4 billion sustainability linked facility and that is believed to be the first from a major US insurer so interesting interesting transaction here the company said that the pricing structure of the 5 year facility is tied to targets related to reducing its domestic carbon emissions and increasing the diversity of its um, senior leadership team and then we have seen an interesting transaction in Australia. So probably you know you know better about that, Nick. But there was the Australian State Land Administrator NSW, the Land Registry Service. They have signed an Aussie dollar 300 million um, sustainability linked loan that includes landmark target, which is tied to Indigenous people reconciliation plan. So this loan is tied to the developing of a reconciliation action plan called REP, which is believed to be the first loan linked to this goal in Australia. So also quite, a, quite an interesting transaction from, from down under here. In the IT space, there was Adamo. They have signed a 600 million um, sustainability linked loan linked to environmental, social and governance targets and what they're focusing on. So Adamo is a Spanish broadband provider. So their focus is on rolling out fiber internet in rural areas and helping to close the digital gap for some of the areas in Spain. Telco in general, the activity is getting more and more also in the SLB space. So we've seen some transactions on that front as well. There was also another SLL from the Dutch Telecom, KPN. They have also done a sustainability-linked loan. And here the targets were also tied to rolling out to fiber, reducing the energy consumption of the company and also um, trying to reduce the carbon emissions in the supply chain. So that's a, that's a really good target because it touched bases on the scope three. One trade um, to highlight which is tied to the to the risk rating is Encavis. It's a German wind and, and solar farm. And they have launched a sustainability-linked revolving credit facility where it's also tied to the rating performance, basically. So as you might recall, and as you know, for SLLs, you can tie your sustainability targets to two things, either to the KPIs, to a rating. And this transaction is a good example where it was tied to an ESG rating. Just moving on, on the chemical side, we have seen the Carbot. They have done a quite big one, 1 billion SLL, where they have said that the margin, or so the, the targets, is tied to the sulfur dioxide and the nitrogen oxide. Oh my God, it's so hard words. To those emissions um, from all those super bad GHG gases, basically, they want to reduce those emissions as one of their targets, basically. So also good to see chemicals trying to get their head around how they can reduce those really sensitive GHG emissions. 
And then uh, in the dairy sector, I like to talk about dairy and agriculture because it's so important for the um, for the sustainable bond and loan market. There was Saputo, it's a Canadian company for everyone who don't know Saputo. They have signed a sustainability linked loan, which is the first of such instrument from a North American dairy company. And it's the second from a Canadian food and drinks company. So also good momentum here in the um, in the agri space. All right, I'm not going into more detail about the other SLS because I mean there are so many. But Nick, moving on to um, to our next segment of like labeled products, was there anything um, you would like to to highlight for our listeners? Okay, thanks, Marika. So to finish off, I'll just talk a little bit about labeled products. A couple of points on transition, and then we'll finish off on some regulatory and, and country updates. In relation to guarantees, there was a green guarantee that, that was issued, um, Shingda Marine. So we look at guarantees, sometimes might have a slightly different view as to whether the use of proceeds, once called, are uh, used for a specific green purpose or otherwise. But look, there's no doubt that guarantees can enable and support green projects, which is a positive thing. We've seen some more initiatives come out from ESG derivatives and JP Morgan announcing some products there on top of what ANZ did uh, a couple months back. Uh, we're also seeing HDFC in India look at some green deposits, which I've talked about a bit, green retail loans. We've also seen, um, this was for ING in Romania, actually, and then repos, uh, more shorter term sort of financing for banks also being connected to sustainability or having a linked item. So again, most products we've talked about, but just to highlight that they keep coming back, which is good. So mainstreaming more. Really not a whole lot directly on the transition uh, for this month. JSW Steel, we did notice something, um, I believe, in India, which we'd see more as transition for us or, or maybe linked rather than direct green as such. But overall, look, steel needs more sustainable finance. So we hope more and more steel companies can come to the market. And probably the only other specific transaction I wanted to mention was just NYK in Japan did a transition bond and that looked at referencing the ICMA Climate Finance Handbook um, or the Japanese version of that and had some use of proceeds connected to things like renewable energies, energy efficiency, clean transportation, some different types of things. Shipping's quite challenging as we know what's going to be done and, and a lot of analysis there on the shipping side. So we've seen mainly linked on the shipping side more so than use of proceeds. So interesting we've seen a use of proceeds approach on that. So do um, check it out for some of the more specifics. And our last but not least section, again, it's pretty difficult to keep up with all the regulatory developments in the EU and others, but just a few highlights, more country news actually this month. India, we're seeing a real pickup in, in interest through our own business and also through some activities in, in the market in general. Thailand regulators continue to be pretty progressive and come out with some new disclosure requirements there, which should drive the market more. There's an article, an interesting one about China firms shying away from ESG loans or link loans. So not sure about all the, the ins and outs of that one, but I guess some markets still working through how sustainable finance will apply to them and, the, and their corporates. So quite a few articles about China. Africa, and again, we highlighted a few deals done in Africa or at least South Africa over the recent um, period. So more and more articles about that. LATAM continues to grow, particularly linked instruments from Brazil, a huge market and really good to see. And then environmental finance had a little spotlight in some of their articles of work they did about Turkey and the huge, um, well, I should say not huge, but the, the ongoing arrival and hence hopefully take off at some stage about more um, corporate issuance in that market. So um, that's a bit of a wrap on those sections, Marika. So back to you. 
Yeah, thanks, Nick. We have come already to an end of this podcast episode for today. So links to articles and reports mentioned in this episode, they can be found on our website. And do not forget, please follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter at Sustainalytics and keep sending those questions our way. And thanks again for tuning in. Till next time. Bye.